Our second reading this morning comes to us again from the first chapter of John's Gospel. Listen for God's Word to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there was big news this week. I, I don't know how many of you caught it, but there was huge, huge news that um, should have had like the breaking scroll down underneath. New news. Um, it is the news that the, well, of course, we've known for some time a Star Wars movie is coming out in just 12 days. Who all is going to see it? Show of hands. Okay. So and we'll pray for the rest of you. Um, so, but the news, the news that came out this week is it will not have the opening title scroll. I know, I know. This is like a big, big change. So if you're, if you're into Star Wars, and again, we'll pray for you if you aren't, but if you're into Star Wars, you know that for, uh, since 1977, Star Wars movies have always begun with the opening title crawl, crawl, the, the words slide away, kind of setting the stage, telling you what's going on. And for this new Star Wars movie that's happening, um, uh, that's opening up in a couple of weeks, uh, that Star Wars movie will not have an opening title crawl. It'll just say, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then it'll start. So, so big news. Um, and, and, um, maybe not as big for some of you as it is for me, but it's, it's very important. You heard a gasp. Um, so, so some of us take this stuff seriously. I like Star Wars. I, I admit it. I'm a geek. Um, but I will tell you there's one area where I've just never been very good at being a Star Wars geek, and it's Star Wars games. This is what a typical Star Wars game looks like today, and they're just too realistic. Um, this is, this is what they look like. And you may say, you may say, well, that, that looks just like the movie, or maybe depending on where, how cynical you are, you may say, well, the movies look like video games. But for me, that's just too much. This is what I think of should be a Star Wars video game, okay? <laughs> this is an actual screenshot from the original Star Wars arcade game that came out in the early 1980s. And I'm terrified to think how many quarters I plunked into that machine. Um, uh, in order to play, you know, you, you get, you get uh, three ships or something when you put in a quarter. And I don't know how many I put in, but I put in way too many. But one of the neat things about that game was when you put in the first quarter, they had a little uh, snippet of audio from the movie where Obi-Wan tells Luke, he says, the force will be with you. But if you put in a second quarter, he would say, always. So you got, you got extra plays, but you also got to hear him say, the force will be with you always. And there was something really neat because the whole idea of the force is it's, it's like a tool that you can, you can adapt and use for your own purposes. And that kind of illustrated it right there. The force was something you had control over. You could decide what to do with the force. You could put in one quarter and the force would be with you. But if you put in two quarters, the force would be with you always. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the force. Because you may not be interested in Star Wars, but my guess is you are interested in the Force. And if you're not interested in the Force, your neighbors are. 38% of your neighbors, chances are, are interested in the Force. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
Now, kind of let me orient us where we're, where we're coming from. This is the season of Advent, and we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture at the beginning of John's account of the good news during Advent. Advent is the season in the church year where we remember that something came. That's what the word Advent means. It means something is coming. And during Advent, remember something came. God kept his promise and sent a Messiah. But we also remember he has made another promise, which is that he will come again. So we spent way too far. Not yet. Um, so so um, uh, I'm going to talk for a while. <laughs> so he's rushing me. So um, so um, I'll take that as a hint. Um, so uh, so during Advent, we remember that, that, that Jesus came. But we also remember he's coming again. And what we try to do is to prepare ourselves so we'll be ready at his second coming. That's the big idea behind Advent. And uh, one of the ways we're doing it this year is by studying this passage of John's account of the gospel, which is so different from the, the Christmas stories we're used to. Most of the Christmas stories we used to are the ones we heard about angels winging and, and children singing and, and you know, uh, axes and, and asses keeping time and all that stuff. We're used to those stories, the stories about the wise men and the shepherds, the angels and the star. That's kind of the Christmas that we're so familiar with. But John says, let's take a step back. Let's kind of look behind the curtain. Let's actually see what's going on. Let's take a look at the big picture. And so that's what we, we began last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can listen online. But, but what we discovered last week is John says that the Word became... I'm sorry, uh, he says that the Word... Uh, in the beginning was the Word. That's what John tells us. He begins his account by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And what we saw last week is what he means by that is that there is... A word, a, a big word, the word logos, it's, it's a big word, it's a meaning, it's purpose, it's, it's reason, it's rationality. The word was in the beginning. He says, this is what underlies everything. The universe basically makes sense. That it's not just meaningless, it's not just chaos. The word makes sense because in the beginning was the word. And that's where we left it last week. That the, the universe has rules. The universe makes sense and nature obeys rules. So that's that's where we left it last week, the idea of logos. But we're going to see where John goes with that today. Because if you've got rules, that invites the question, where did the rules come from? So where did the rules come from? Now, there's a bunch of ways people have answered that. The, the first answer is they didn't come from anywhere. The rules just are what they are. It's just plain dumb luck. The rules are what they are, and they are just the result of luck. The problem with that answer, there is a real problem with that answer, um, is that science has been pretty unforgiving to this answer for the last uh, 70 or 80 years. More and more science is coming out showing us just how unlikely this universe that we live in is. Uh, we saw some of the numbers last week. We talked about the six numbers that that um, astronomers deal with, uh, which are finely tuned. Um, and and the, the, the difficulty is that these numbers collectively that are so precise that if they were any different, then the universe couldn't exist. And there's two ways people have answered that. They've said, well, there's a reason that we see it. it we, we, can, we admit it is highly unlikely that the universe could be what it is. But there's a reason, and it's because we're here. If, if they were any different, we wouldn't be here. So we, we can't deal with all those trillions and trillions of other cases where the, if those numbers were any different, then things would be different. We wouldn't be here. So they say, well, that's, that's just 
It's just a, a bias we have because we happen to be part of a universe that supports life. And the, 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 the technical answer for this, they call it the anthropic principle, that we, we see it that way because we're part of it. We are intrinsically going to see the universe this way. So that's, that's one answer. But they will confess the odds are huge. And so one of the answers they say is they say, well, just imagine if you had an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters, and for an infinite amount of time they started typing, just randomly hitting keys, eventually, just by sheer luck, one of them would type Shakespeare, right? They say that eventually that would happen. You know, infinity is a long time. We've got an infinite number of monkeys. And again, science has been cruel to this because they say we really don't have an infinite amount of time. They say we've got 13, 14 billion years. That's that's the total of time since the Big Bang happened. So you don't have an infinite amount of time. And we don't have an infinite amount of monkeys. They say we've got 100 billion stars in this galaxy. We've got 100 billion galaxies. And collectively, those 100 billion stars in each of 100 billion galaxies is about 5% of the total um, mass of the universe. So we know how many monkeys there are, so to speak. We know how much there are, and it just doesn't add up. So one of the problems we have with this theory is the math. The, The math that scientists are giving us is just cruel to the dumb luck theory. So that's one of the problems we have with the dumb luck theory. Scientists have added a new a new layer to this. They've added a an extra layer of complexity. They say, well, actually, this is just one of an infinite number of universes that are boiling up out of the cosmic vacuum. And uh, I don't know anything about that, but it sounds to me like since those universes are nothing we'll ever see, it sounds to me like they've made that up in order to have an answer to the infinite monkey problem. So I don't know. But that's what it sounds like to me. So one answer is just dumb luck. The other answer is kind of, I think, the obvious answer. If you have a bunch of rules, if you see reason pervading the universe, then you say there must be a reasoner behind it. If you see rules, there must be a rule maker, a ruler. And that's actually what John says he saw. This is the religious answer. So there's the, the, it just is what it is, the, the sheer dumb luck answer, the, the, um, there, there is nothing else. This is the end of it all. Just luck answer. There's the religious answer, which says there's more to it than that. And that's what John says. We're going to come back to John. But there's a third answer, which tries to kind of have it both ways. It tries to, 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 to eat its cake and have it too. And that brings us back to the force. So, sorry, the, John says the word was God. And, and, uh, then, um, I've got, I've got my own chart. So, uh, he says that, and the, the, the third, the, the third choice is to try and meet somewhere halfway, to have a little bit of both. And that brings us back to the force. So the force is that attempt to have it both ways. It's to say, there's more than meets the eye. It's not just, it's not just what you see is what you get. The universe has something behind it. There is something supernatural to the universe. But it makes no demands on you. It's a tool you can use, but it has no particular agenda of its own. It's just something you can tap into and use. In fact, it comes in two flavors. There's the light side of the force and the dark side of the force, because really there's just the force, and how you use it is up to you. If you use it that way, then you wind up, you know, in a black suit. If, if you're a good guy, you know, you're a Jedi and you end up getting killed by people like him. So, so, uh, they say the force is neutral. It makes no demands. You can be good. You can be bad. The force is still yours to command. 
So this is the mentality that a lot of the world has today. Now, we don't always call it the force. Sometimes we call it the enlightenment. Sometimes we say that humanity emerged out of this time of darkness and superstition and primitive thinking into a bright, glorious future where people people used reason and rationality and they made all their decisions um, by reason. This is actually a, a picture of the festival to the um, to the uh, ultimate spirit, I think. Robespierre introduced this festival because he wanted to get rid of all of the religious festivals. So he had a kind of a, a sort of a festival to a sort of a god um, uh, back during the French Revolution. This picture uh, took place at the first and only celebration of that festival because a couple of months later, Robespierre fell from power. He lost his head in the guillotine. So the Enlightenment is kind of a mixed bag, but but people thought of the Enlightenment as kind of this this advance forward out of darkness into light. A um, hundred years later, this is the way we thought of it. We thought of it as evolution. People talked about how there was the 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 evolution of life from primitive forms to more complicated forms. There was the monkeys at one end, and then there was the advanced Homo sapiens at the other end. So there was this force that guided people from from the less complex to the more complex. Now, a scientist will tell you that's not true. In fact, if you talk to a biologist, they'll tell you a bacterium on your skin is just as highly evolved as you are. You both have a family tree that goes back three billion years. And who's to say which one is advanced and which one is primitive? A biologist will say, no one can tell you. But the idea of evolution a hundred years ago is that there was this force, this this mystical energy that drove the universe, driving us from primitive to advanced. We've also called it by other names. In the Soviet Union, it was called historical materialism. Lenin is always seen looking off into the future because he sees, he's got the vision. He knows where things are headed. The rest of us don't know. But Lenin, he knows where it's going because he is a true communist. And he says, basically, it's kind of the infinite monkeys theory, but with slaves. If you have an infinite number of slaves and an infinite number of chains, then eventually they will cast off their chains and they will have true communism. So that's kind of the idea is that, is that there is a force that will cause slaves to be released. We don't know exactly what it is or why, but eventually, instead of just everybody winding up in chains, everybody will end up out of their chains. Why? Because of the force. How do you know this is going to work? Well, you just have to trust the force because the force will be with you always. Now, I don't want to make fun of communists. We have that same idea in our own thinking. In our own thinking, we called it manifest destiny. Sometimes people would say God was behind it, but sometimes they just say there was this, this kind of force driving westward expansion. And people in, who came from Europe were coming to the United States and they were, they were driving us toward our destiny, which was to, to expand and fill the entire continent with, with white European wisdom and, and wonder. About 70 or 80 years ago, uh, there was something called the progressive movement. I couldn't figure out what would you do with a picture of a progressive movement. But some of you may have progressive politics. Some of you may think of yourself as a progressive. And, and I hope you are. But if you are, I hope you are a person of faith. Because otherwise you have to ask yourself, who says what's progress? If we go to a socialist utopia like H.G. Wells wanted, is that progress? If we go to a fascist um, uh, society like uh, Mussolini or Hitler wanted, is that progress? Who defines what is progress? 
if you don't have an answer, then you've just got the force. So ultimately, all of these things collapse down onto what traditionally was called magic. That basically there was a force, there was a supernatural capability that you could tap into to achieve the things you wanted, whether it was to achieve perfect communism in our lifetime or whether it was to fill the continent with European settlers. Whatever purpose you had, whatever big idea you were advancing, the Enlightenment, historical materialism, progressivism, whatever it was, you could tap into that force and it would help you achieve your goals. But it made no demands on you. It was just magic. And this is really the problem with magic. The problem with magic is who controls the wand? Who holds the wand? See, magic, it's me. I hold the wand. And magic does what it's told. Okay, if I cast the spell right, if I wave my wand just so, swish and flick, then I get what I want. That's the problem with the force. The force is kind of a godlight. It's a tame god. It's a god that you, you keep on a chain like a, like a monkey with a, for an organ grinder. He just does whatever you tell him. Whenever you jerk the chain, he coughs up some magic. This is magical thinking. This is behind so much of our society, whether we're communists or whether we're capitalists. And John says, no. You can't have that halfway thinking. And in fact, John draws on the Hebrew scriptures, which say things like this. Um, Paul, uh, the, so not Paul, Saul, the first king of Israel, is rejected because he disobeys God. Not because he practices divination, but because he rejects God. And in fact, God says to him, rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. When you engage in magical thinking, when you think of me as something that you can obey when you feel like and disobey when you feel like and still call on me and get results, that's just like magic. And so he says, Saul, I have rejected you from being king over Israel. Ezekiel talks about a time Israel's in great trouble. Israel's having all kinds of problems. And so they say, let's go to the temple and see if God will bail us out one more time. Let's find out what God wants us to do. And when they get there, the prophet tells them, or God speaks through the prophet to tell them, shall I be consulted by you, O house of Israel, now that the chips are down and you're looking for some help from somewhere? You're going to come to me? You're going to consult me now? He says, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be consulted by you. You've made your bed, go lie in it. If you don't have a ruler... If you don't have a rule maker, then the force, historical materialism, whatever you call it, is godlike, and it is basically magical thinking. So, John says that's not what he's about. John says the word was God and the word was with God. He says, he says the word was distinct from God. There was, there was a distinction between God and the word, but at the same time, they, they were not separate. They couldn't be separated. I couldn't say, well, this is, this is, this is God and this is the Word. He says, the Word was God and the Word was with God. And then a few verses later, he says, we have seen his glory. He says, I looked at his glory. He walked on this earth and I looked at his glory. And when I did, I saw the glory of the one and only Son. He said, he said, when I looked at Jesus, 
I learned something about the Father. I learned something about God by looking at Jesus. Jesus actually reveals who God is. John says, this is God. The Logos is God. It's not a force. It's not magic. So that's what John says his experience was. And if you're of the kind of uh, 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 mindset where you were willing to listen to an eyewitness testimony, um, John has told you what he saw. But I want to tell you some benefits. See, one of the things, one of the things with the force is it's a team God, right? It does what we want if it works at all. But I want to tell you some things that maybe we don't realize when we just think about a God who makes demands of us. A God who says, I'll help you, but you have to do what I say. A God who says, I control universes and I want you to do what I say too. So I want to just quickly conclude with three thoughts for you about what comes out of this. What is it that we learn from what John teaches us? Well, there's three things. If God is a ruler, if if the logos, if the rational principle behind the universe is not just a force, not just magical thinking, it's not just luck, if it's actually a person, then three things come out of that. One of them is that he has motivation. A ruler has motivation. The force has no motivation. The force just does what you are motivated to do. But a ruler has his own motivation. And what scriptures tell us is that God's motivation is love. God made the universe to love us. And he made us so we could love him and love one another. The universe has an idea behind it. There is a big idea behind the universe. A second thought. Only a person can have memory. You know, it's funny, people talk about historical, historical uh, materialism, but that history is only, is only useful in the sense that it, it's your starting point. There's nothing to your history. It's something to escape from. Your history is that time when you were a slave and now under communism, you are now free to, to attain your, your, your future. Or that time when you were, you were, um, uh, huddled masses yearning to breathe free in Europe and now you're in the new world and now you can have your manifest destiny. Your history is what you escape from. But because God has memory, your history is something that is redeemed and transformed. It becomes a part of your future. God works in it and through it to make your life different. He tells Moses, God does, I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry and I have come down to set them free. God has a memory. And finally, a person, a person can give you their name. See, in Harry Potter, if you drop the wand, if the wand gets taken from you, you're out of luck, right? If you do the spell wrong, too bad. But God gives us his name. He says, call on my name. And if we say, well, frankly, you probably wouldn't do what I asked because, because I don't deserve it. I mean, let's face it. What have I ever done for you? All I've done is rebel my whole life. All I've ever done is rebel. Why would you do what I ask? God says, I gave you my name. If you won't do it because you want my help or you think you deserve my help, do it 
because my name is precious and I want to bring glory to my name. God gives us his name that we can call on when a wand would fail us. God gives us his name. We can call on his name at any time with or without any reason that we would merit God's support. A person can give us his name. Let me give you three things to do. Two things. One thing to do and one thing, two things to do. I can't count. Let me give you this. Let me tell you what to do. All right. This is where you have to write it out. Um, so, so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to think about those three things. The three things that are different between God and the force. Okay? God has um, a purpose. God has memory. God has a name. And think to yourself, in your own life, which of those has been most valuable to you? And if you're not a believer or if you're a skeptic, if you still got some questions, ask yourself, which of those would you most want God to demonstrate for you? Would you like God to demonstrate his memory, his purpose, or his name? What I'd like you to do, if you are a believer, then pray a prayer sometime today. Pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God for showing you his name telling you his purposes, and having a memory. Whatever it is that speaks most to you. And if you don't, pray a prayer asking God to make that known to you. Whether it's his motivation, whether it's his name, or whether it's his, whether it's his memory. Say, God, there's this thing in my past, I can't believe in you because I can't believe you let that thing happen. And say to God, God, if you've got a memory, if you are not just the force, if you have a memory, God, transform that in my life. Let me know, God, how you have seen what I had to deal with. And show me how you can transform it and make it into something better. If it's his purpose, if you're saying, God, why, why, why? Say, God, show me your purpose. And if it's his name, call on his name. Because the force, the force is a tame God, but the force is made up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are not a tame God. You're not a force that we can call on and expect results, except sometimes we don't do it right. You're a person with motives. You're a person who has a memory, who has seen everything that's gone on in our life and knows what we've been dealing with. You're a person with a name. And so, Lord, help us to know how we can call on your name, how we can pray to you a prayer of thanksgiving or a prayer of supplication that you would be for us more than just a force. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.